So my brother lives out in Kenya, Africa. And let me tell you something. One of my dreams from like the day that I can remember was to go on a safari. So you can just imagine the excitement that I experienced when my brother moving to Kenya and as I was going to go visit him to do some ministry out there, right? No, we really were going to do some ministry. But he said, let's go on a safari together in the Maasai Mara, like the place, like the best safari place ever. Ever. So I was so excited. So my brother and I, we headed out into the Maasai Mara, seeing elephants, seeing giraffes, seeing lions. I mean, it was like the ultimate. But let's just admit it, at least for me anyway, when I was younger, the, the, the movie, the National Geographic video that always caught my attention was in the Mara River when the wildebeest would be crossing in and crocodiles would come out of nowhere and grab hold. And yes, it would be tragedy, but it's also survival of the fittest. It's like animals at their best. So here's, so it all went down that way. So we, so my brother and I were sitting outside uh, the Mara River. We're in his Jeep overlooking and the wildebeest begin to come down and zebras together. I didn't know zebras came down first, wildebeest all coming in. And then what happened was a little bit more sad than I expected because the zebras started going first across the river. Now, I wasn't expecting this, and I have to admit, for some, some reason, uh, zebras like caught me up a little bit more emotionally than, than expected. But the excitement was still there for this incredible adventure. So here's what happened. As these zebras would walk through the Morrow River, these crocodiles would come up out of nowhere and would grab them. And yes, death would happen, crocodiles would be fed, tragedy would strike. But here's what I noticed in the midst of seeing four or five of these zebras um, getting injured, let's just say for the sake of a better word. This is what I noticed is that the crocodiles, when, when the zebras ran through the Mara River together, when they, when they would run through with strength, they actually would get by. And, and the crocodiles would miss them. And so when they would go in a herd, there, there wouldn't, like, there, there'd be no casualties. But it was, it was the zebra that was a little more inexperienced, you could say younger, it was the zebra that decided to go alone. It was the zebra that was like the weaker zebra. The crocodiles, they, they, they just had this thing about them. They would know it. They would see it. And they'd go after it. And, and as I thought about the Mara River and these zebras, and yes, saddened, uh, but I also have to admit, kind of excited about seeing the whole thing, uh, I, I just realized how often in life that's true of us. That when we're together, when we're in relationship, there's strength. There's, there's, there's power to it. But when, when we're alone, when we're weak, when we're vulnerable, we get stuck and that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, Lift Church. Well, how do we get unstuck? 
how do we, how, when, when we're stuck in life, because we get stuck in life, we, we can get stuck in a, in a bad relationship. We can get stuck in a, in a position or in a job that we're just like, oh, can you get me out of this thing? We, we get stuck in a relationship with God and, and battling through like, God, like, where are you at? Where, like, when you show up, like, what's going on? We get stuck. And, and how do we get unstuck. Like how, how, how do we how do we get free? And this morning as we dive into scripture, we're going to see one of the most powerful uh, tools, most powerful ways that God has given to us to get unstuck. And that is the power of prayer and the power of being together in prayer. There's, there's just, there's, there's nothing that can stop it. God uses this incredible um, like tool that he's given to us to, to transform lives, to, to transform our perception of what's going on, to, to, to change and, and shift situations. And so this is where we're going today, whether you're listening in for the first time, whether you're listening in the morning and Sunday morning or in the evening, or if you're from Lyft or, or just kind of see, you know, peeking in, just so thankful that you're with us. Once again, we're on this journey called Unstuck. And here's where we've been over the last couple of weeks. We talked about this, that the way to get unstuck, right? It's a journey that starts with a decision and a decision about Jesus Christ. Let me be so clear about that. If you want to get unstuck in life, it's about a decision that you have with Jesus. And then we talked about the excuses that we have to remain unstuck. Last week, Right, we 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 talked we we talked about how difficult it is uh, when when we're stuck and, and and what do we do in the midst of it? And this week we're going to talk about this 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 powerful tool that God has given to us called prayer. So turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 8. Let me give you some context uh, to our story. So once again, open up your Bibles, take it off the bookshelf. Take it off the cabinet, open it up. It's so good just to be in the Word of God together. Exodus chapter 17. Let me give you some context because we're skipping a couple of chapters. Last week we were in Exodus 4, now we're in Exodus 17. What in the world happened over those last couple weeks? Let me just fill you in. Exodus chapter 12, the nation of Israel is freed up. They're freed up from uh, from Egypt. They're, They're free now, they're living it by Exodus chapter 14. They hit the Red Sea, and Moses puts his staff in the Red Sea. The water split. The nation of Israel get through the Red Sea. And then they have this incredible celebration of praise and singing in Exodus 15. But by Exodus chapter 16, how quickly it happens, all of a sudden they're, they're grumbling. They're, they're actually saying by Exodus chapter 16, I wish we were back in Egypt. Have you ever felt that way, right? Like you're kind of on this journey and then you're like, ah, oh, maybe this isn't so good. So the whole nation, can you just imagine like, I wish we were back in Egypt. And so they're grumbling because they don't have any water and 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 all of a sudden, before you know it, food or water, Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, God provides. God provides manna. God provides quail. Uh, God does these kinds of things. And then Exodus chapter 17, which is where we're heading to today, they're camped at Rephidim. There's no water to drink. And and Moses comes to this place by verse 4, that he's just going to the God. He's just saying, I think these people are going to kill me. 
I mean, can you imagine that? Like, they're freed from Egypt. They see the Red Sea split. They, the God provides in miraculous ways manna and quail and, 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 and gets water for them. But now in Exodus chapter 17, verse 4, Moses is like, I think they're going to kill me. And by Exodus chapter 17, verse 7, which is the verse right before we're going to talk about this morning, this is the question they're asking. They're asking, is the Lord among us or not? Is God among us or not? I mean, that's the question we ask when we're stuck, isn't it? Is God with us? Is God among us? I mean, Lift Church, I, I, I think some of you, right, you're, you're in the midst of this process and processing through, and, and, and you're asking that question, is the Lord among us or not? And, and that's the question that the nation of Israel is asking as we enter into verse 8. So once again, like, let's just dive into this stuff. Like, let's soak this in as far as what God has for us this morning. So Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse 8, here's what the Word of God says to us. Then Amalek, so the Amalekites, came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So can you, can you picture this, right? So the Amalekites come and they stop this journey to the promised land for the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden war is about to happen. And, and, and we see, if you just do a Bible study of the Amalekites, it's, it's kind of cool. You can do some of this stuff on your own. I'll give you a couple of verses to look at. Genesis chapter 36, verse 12, we see that Amalek comes, is like the grandson of Esau. So once again, just begin to think about just biblical history. It's a beautiful thing to think about. So Amalek comes from that bloodline. And this is what we also know about the Amalekites. You see it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, starting at verse 17. Once again, I'm just trying to give us a picture, right, of the enemy that's coming against the nation of Israel because we're going to see some pretty, pretty tough things here. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, just gives you some context of the Amalekites. It says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came up out of Egypt. That's what he's talking about right here. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Right? Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came up out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you. So once again, I'm not trying to be uh, like too picturesque, but it's the zebra, right? Like the nation of Israel, they're weak, they're alone, they're weary, they're vulnerable. And what does the Amalekites do? They attack right then. They attack them. Verse 18, uh, verse 19. So therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord, is, the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So from Deuteronomy chapter 25, we see this exact moment in chapter 17, verse 8. And this is what we need to see as we enter into this text. And that is the Lord defends the weary and the weak. The Lord defends the vulnerable. The Lord steps in. I love that. And when, when you're stuck, think about this. When you're stuck, when you're weak, when you feel weary, when you feel vulnerable, when you're like at the end of the rope, here's the first thing we have to remember. The Lord will fight for you. 
the Lord will fight for you. I mean, think about this moment. I mean, think about Exodus, right? Think about Deuteronomy, right? Chapter 25. Think, think about what's going on in this text. The Lord will fight for you. Are you weak? Are you weary? Are you vulnerable? Are you stuck? The Lord will fight for you. You will face battles. You will face struggles. And God is with you. And God will fight for you. Listen to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. That's our God. He is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. And God does the same for the orphan and the widow. And God does the same for you and for me when we're weak, when we're worn out, when we're weary, when we're stuck. The Lord will fight for us. We have to hold on to that. Because a lot of times when we're stuck, we think what? We think, what can I do? How can I get out of this? How, what, like, we, we leave it up to us. And as followers of Jesus, he will fight for you. He'll go before you. He'll clear the way. We can, we can rest in that. We rest in that promise today as we fight COVID-19, as the racial tensions continue to abound, like as we continue to face things that we have within our local church, like will we rest in the trust that the reality that the Lord will go before us? Let's get back to our text, starting at verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So just, just picture this. So Joshua, right, rallies all the troops. There's soldiers everywhere. There's battle that is happening. There's swords and, and, and the, I mean, all this kind of stuff is going on in, in the land. And Moses, their leader, right, with Aaron and her, they go up on the mountain overlooking the battle. And, and, and a Moses has his staff with him. And as Moses lifts up his staff, as Moses lifts up his arms, they're winning. And when he lowers them, they're losing. Now, just imagine the moment when they realize this. Imagine the moment when Moses all of a sudden realized, wow, when I have my hands up praying, right? When I have my hands up, the nation of Israel is winning. And then when I lower them, they're losing. Can you imagine the moment that all of a sudden they realize this? So what happens to Moses? All of a sudden he's like, oh, my word, I got to keep my hands up. I got to keep my hands up. Now we'll come back to that soon. But this is what I want us to realize and what I want us to see is that we think, as we think about this, we process this, we think in general, we typically think humanly. We think that the battle is being won between Joshua and the soldiers and Amalek and the Amalekites. Like that's where we go. 
We think the battle is going to be won on the battlefield. We think the battle is going to be won with the soldiers against soldiers, Joshua against their leader, and that's where the battle is going to be won, don't we? Like, that's what we think of. We think of, man, if Joshua is just a little more strategic, he's going to win it. If Joshua has the best method, if, if Joshua thinks creatively and, and brings in this person and, and, and surrounds the troops in this way, like they're going to win, right? I mean, that's what we think. That's what we think victories are won. We put so much dependency on us to make those decisions, to make it happen. But look at the text. Look at where the battle is won. The battle is won on the mountain. The battle is won by God himself. The victory is the Lord's. And what we have to grasp hold of this as we apply it to our lives is never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of prayer. We have to realize that oftentimes the battles, when we're stuck, the temptations, the victories that we live out are are found out, are victorious by being on our knees in prayer, trusting the Lord to move. It's not based so much upon what we do. It's based upon just our surrender to the Lord and what He does. And how often do we underestimate the power of prayer? How often do we engage rather than just sitting back and praying for our church? How often do we spend on our knees? How often husbands, fathers, do you wake up? I wake up every morning on my knees. I, I just crawl out of bed. I get on my knees. I pray for my wife. I pray for my kids. I pray for my home. I pray for my neighborhood. Do we start there? I mean, think about Jesus. Think about Mark chapter 9. Think about this incredible story. You can turn there if you want to or just listen in. In Mark chapter 9, there's this dad who has a son. And, and his, his son has this, this sickness, this, uh, this like physical, um, like just struggle that, that he'll throw himself down on the ground and foams at the mouth. And this dad just wants his son cured. And so sees the disciples. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about the disciples. So this dad, can you imagine the brokenness, the weakness of this dad going to the disciples and saying, will you please heal my son? And the disciples do all they can. They, they try to heal the son. And, and commotion is starting to happen. And, and the son goes you know, through all this kind of dynamic. And then Jesus comes on the scene. Can you just imagine this? There's all this commotion. There's, there's like conflict. The disciples are like, I don't know why this isn't working right. This father's like, what's going on? Like, can you please just heal my son? There's people surrounding. Jesus comes on the scene. And this dad goes before Jesus. And says, will you please heal my son? And Jesus is like, what's going on? And he foams at the mouth. And at times, he says, he's, he's throwing himself into fires. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine seeing your son being thrown into a fire? Just throwing him. And this dad's like, he's throwing himself in water, right? Would you just imagine like these, these threats of, of killing my son? And this dad's like, Jesus, can you heal him? And it's an incredible interaction. You got to look at it in Mark chapter 9. And and through this encounter, Jesus prays and heals the son. And the disciples are like, afterwards, the disciples are like, Jesus, what in the world happened? Like, why couldn't we do this? 
And Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 9, I think it's verse 29, he says, this kind can only be healed through prayer. See, there's things that we face that only can be healed through prayer. There's things that we encounter that prayer is this, this, this weapon in a, in a good way, this stronghold, this gift that God has given to us. Never underestimate the power of prayer. I was on a mission trip to Argentina. Maybe for some of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. But you know what? I don't know, you know. Maybe you're like, does prayer still work today? How does it all work? Can I just testify to you about the greatness of God right now? I'm on a mission trip to Argentina. I was playing basketball at Wheaton College. I had a sports-induced asthma, and it would flare up at times. It would go away at times. That's just kind of the way that I went down. And um, I wasn't a very good basketball player, but I could shoot the basketball. But this game, I was hot. Like, this game, I was making, I was making shots. And first half, I don't know, I had like five or six threes and we were winning the game, but I had asthma. Like I, I couldn't really run. I couldn't really breathe. It was really, really difficult. So the coach pulls me out. So right before halftime, the coach pulls me out. The missionary actually comes over with some of his friends. Is like, why is that guy on the bench? You know, that doesn't, wasn't asked very often, but this game it was. Anyway, so the, the, the missionary is like, well, why, is, why is he on the bench? And so the coach is like, well, he can't breathe. You know what I mean? So we got to rest him. We don't want him to die on the court. And uh, so, they, so they, they pulled me over. They said, can we pray for him? So they pulled me over. Like, I'll never forget this. They pulled me over. I, I think I was, anyway. So they pulled me over and, uh, and they pray over me. And, and I just want to testify to y'all, like, the second half, no asthma issues. And honestly, I look back at my life over the last, let's just say three years since college. It's been many more, 25 years, actually. Anyway, I have not had an asthmatic attack since then. I've not had to deal with it. Like, the Lord healed me. I'm telling you, never underestimate the power of prayer. Never. God is moving. God is working. Let's stay on our knees and see what happens. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, verse 12, one of my favorite parts. But Moses' hands grew weary, right? Can you imagine? So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So once again, Moses is growing weary. They grab a stone. They put it under him. He sits on the stone. Hur on one arm, uh, Aaron on the other arm, and they're just, can you imagine the picture of this? Just holding each other up in prayer as the nation of Israel is in the midst of battle and over many, many, many hours, right? The, the, the text, right? The text says, until the going down of the sun, Joshua overwhelmed the Melech and his people with the sword. Listen, and here's the third thing. You're not strong enough to get out alone. When you're stuck, you're not strong enough to get out alone. You need people. Moses needed people. Moses needed Aaron. Moses needed her to keep his arms up. And we need people. We need companionship. We need friends. We need a spouse who's going to stand by our side. Whatever we're going through, we, we, we need people to, to lift up their hands in prayer for us. We need people. You're not strong enough to do it on your own. One of my friends, he's a part of a, 
a Jeep crew. Like they do these four by four Jeeps and they go through, I, I think it's, he's actually from Minneapolis. So there you go, Lift Church. And, uh, and they, they climb up these, I don't know, cliffs. I don't know if they're in Minneapolis, honestly, but they climb up these, these kind of these cliffs, these rockety edges. And their phrase that they have for their group is never, never leave one behind. Never leave one behind. Church, let's never leave one behind. Never underestimate the power of prayer. You can't do it alone. And here's the final thing. Put a stake in the ground. Put a stake in the ground. So when you're stuck, the Lord will fight for you. Never underestimate the power of prayer. You're not strong enough to do it alone. And put a stake in the ground. Let's read the text. Verses, starting at verse 14. So then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Do you, do you see what God's saying? Keep telling Joshua about this. Don't forget the story. Don't forget how the victory was won by prayer on the mountain and not in the battle of war. It takes both, right? Keep telling Joshua about this. That I will utterly blot out Right, the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now we talked about that in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and why that was, that was God saying that. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So it was, it was a moment. It was a memorial. It was something that the nation of Israel needed to remember. They needed to remember the victory, the protection of the Lord in this moment. And that's what the banner of the Lord means. It means the Lord's leadership, the Lord's protection over us. And Moses' challenge to Joshua, right, is remember this. Remember it. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord wanted Moses to remember this moment, the nation of Israel to remember this moment, and for Joshua to remember this moment. And they built an altar to remember it. Put a stake in the ground. Make an altar. Take something, grab something. As you think about getting unstuck, as you think about this message, grab something to remember your commitment to what God has done. Because what's our altar? What, what do we look back at to see the greatness of God? What do we look back at to see the victory? What we look back at now is the cross. What we look back at now to see the victory that we have is we know that we have a God that loves us so much. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to go and die on a cross, to, to die in our place so that we could have our sins forgiven, so that we could be free. He rose three days later to prove that he is the only way and the truth and the life. He gives us freedom. If we're stuck, if you're stuck, remember this incredible gift of prayer. Let's be on our knees. Remember the cross and the victory that we have. For me and my family, long time ago, I took this rock as a memorial for me to remember this. As for me and my family, we will choose the Lord. Take something. Remember. Trust what God has. Start on your knees. Let's start. Let's continue to pray. Continue to pray for one another. 
for what God has for us ahead. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for Lift Church. Lord, I just pray that we will testify, that we will remember this incredible gift you've given to us in prayer. Lord, may we use it for your glory in every single way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.